welcome to our podcast, Queerful Fears. I am your horror enthusiast, Sydney, a bisexual they-them-femme. And I'm your scaredy-cat, Elsie, your bisexual trans woman. I use she-her pronouns. Queerful Fears is a queer-centered podcast, hence the name, exploring different types of horror media. So, welcome to our first episode. Basically, on this podcast, we are going to be discussing horror movies, anthologies, limited series, and various YouTube series as well, all with spooky horror themes. We will be talking about them from our varied perspectives. I, as someone who has grown up loving the genre. And I, as someone who grew up too scared to watch any horror. Any horror. Any horror? Horror. Horrors. We will be exploring our thoughts on themes, overall plot, favorite moments, the kills, the scares, how it made us feel, and all of that juicy stuff, as well as the impact it has had on us as individuals, as a society as a whole, and that includes things like social media presence, future works, and most importantly, the ways in which this media is relative and impactful to us as queers specifically, or to the queer community at large. Hence the name of the show. Now that we established the premise, we will start discussing our first piece of media. And of course, we are going to be talking about the film as a whole, overall, the entire thing. So there absolutely will be spoilers. So beware of that. If you have not seen this movie, I highly recommend that you go watch it because it is my absolute favorite in the genre. Today, we will be talking about Scream from 1996. Directed by Wes Craven and written by Kevin Williamson. So as I said, this is my favorite movie out of the genre and pretty much overall, honestly. I absolutely love Scream and we want to just start off with a bit of a banger. And I also needed to just get it out of the way because I do not shut the fuck up about this movie. And so I just wanted to get it over with so that we could move on to other works of media. I'm sure in the future you will be referencing it, so it's good to have this as a base reference You're right. as well. <laughs> it's a good base reference because, as I said, I won't shut the fuck up about it throughout the future. And I do think, which we'll talk about more later, it is impactful as a piece of horror. And since uh, the 90s is like a long time ago now, <laughs> it's it's very much like a big part of the history of the genre to talk about Scream or reference Scream. Yeah. So, and also the new one came out recently. Yeah. So it's still fresh as a franchise. Very Still. F- very fresh wound in my opinion. Fresh wound? Yes. This is this episode is not about the Digging scream. into Scream 5. <laughs> Scrifive. Scrifivum. Stop. <laughs> oh wait, it should be for cream. Five cream. I've had enough. Can you... <laughs> Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the plot of the film? So, general synopsis. It starts off with the opening murder, which is Casey Becker and her boyfriend Steve, which introduces the killer, Ghostface. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. After that, we cut to the protagonist of the movie, Sydney Prescott, in her room. Played by Neve Campbell on her big fat desktop computer from the 90s, typing away on some chat forum or some shit. And then basically her creepy boyfriend, Ski Ulrich. Her hot boyfriend. Yeah, okay. He's decent looking. But he is still a weirdo. 
Billy Loomis, her boyfriend, played by Skeet Ulrich, hops up through the window, scares the shit out of her, and then her dad comes to, like, check in. And then he has to hide, and then she talks to her dad about how he's going to be going on a trip, he's going out of town. Um, never a good sign for the parents to be leaving for a slasher movie, of course. And then, uh, Billy Loomis goes on to talk about how the exorcist made him think about how Sydney doesn't want to fuck him. It's, you know, like a healthy relationship. Yeah, it's definitely, like, a real good moment for them. After that initial kill scene, it's clear that a murderer is potentially on the loose and may go after more students. So, curfews put in place, Detective Dewey's on the case, Gail Weathers, the reporter from the local news, is there to instigate shit and ask too many fucking questions. Detective Dewey, played by David Arquette, Gail Weathers, played by Courtney Cox. Yes, I was going to say that. Okay, sorry. But thank you. We're introduced to... The, the sheriff, you know, Deputy Dewey, is there as well. They're interviewing Sydney. It's also made clear to us that something has gone on in the past. Something has happened to Sydney before. A past crime. And then we are introduced to the friend group, which involves, of course, Sydney and her boyfriend, Billy. But then also her best friend, Tatum, played by... Rose McGowan, the sister of Deputy Dewey Riley, um, Tatum's boyfriend, Stu Mocker, I believe I'm saying that right, who is played by the one and only Matthew Lillard, and their other friend, the third wheel, Randy Meeks, the funny <laughs> guy of the group, the horror aficionado. Randy Meeks is played by Jamie Kennedy. So you have the friend group, and basically it becomes clear that this killer has a motive. They're actually after Sydney. Well, I don't know if it's clear. No, they go after her, and then she doesn't get killed. Yeah, they they go after her, but it's not clear that that's who they're after. You know what I'm saying? Mm, I'm pretty sure. Like, there's like. He does start talking about her whore mother. Yeah. yeah. I wonder if the scene, The Exorcist, that made Billy go, wow, I was thinking about you, is when she goes, your mother sucks cocks in hell. And he's like, oh my god. That probably was it. Sydney's mom is sucking cocks in hell right now. Jesus Christ. Is that the line from The Exorcist? Pretty sure. It's definitely something like that. Anyway, basically then, it's kind of this, like, whole red herring who could it be type of situation it is revealed to us through a conversation that Sydney has with Gail and through some of what the killer says and from a, a news spot that we see that's about the new murders, but also about a gruesome murder that happened a year ago that was the murder of Sydney's mother, Maureen Prescott. There's a little bit more to the story. Gail seems to think that Sydney uh, fingered the wrong guy and put him in jail. And I think that's alluded to eventually by the killer. And so it's kind of this whole conversation of like, is the actual killer for her mother in jail? Could it be the weird creepy principal played by the Fonz? What is his real name? I do know it, but I can't remember it. Mm, sure you do. Played by, oh wait, no, I was about to read off the Fonz's real name. What is? Henry Winkler. Mm-hmm. Is it the slightly creepy principal Hembry played by Henry Winkler? Is it? Randy, 
The guy who knows too much about slasher films? Is it the boyfriend? Is it Dewey? Is it her father who they cannot locate? These are the questions. <laughs> this is the ride you're in for. Isn't their clearly sociopathic friend Stu? <laughs> yes, who could it be? So it's kind of a whodunit, which is part of why I love it so much. So basically, a house party happens, some freaky scary business ensues. On the night of this party, the principal's murdered, Tatum's murdered, she's hanging from the garage door, like... A lot of various shit is happening. There's a whole scene of people running around, getting murdered, finding dead bodies, so on and so forth. And by the end of the movie, the killer is revealed and they have a standoff with Sydney. That does not end well for them. That is the basic plot of the movie. And we are going to talk about it more in depth, but just as a rundown of what the film is about. Now we're gonna give a little background information about the film, which I actually find really interesting. I hope you all do too. And just kind of the history, inspiration, etc. about the film. Anyone who's seen this movie is familiar with the meta elements of it. And it's like a very big part of the film and what makes it special, in my opinion. And I think in a lot of people's opinions too, based off of the fact that this film basically revived the genre. Specifically the slasher genre. Yeah. Not just horror. It did kind of revive the horror genre, though. At least in, like, the U.S. Okay. Basically, the history behind this is that the horror genre, specifically slashers, because that is what had been popular in the horror genre in, like, the 70s and 80s, the slashers were the movies such as Halloween, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. But those movies, up until this point in the 90s, had been making sequel after sequel after sequel. Everyone was sick of it. Everyone was tired of it. The genre had really kind of died out. People were not interested anymore because it was not fresh. It wasn't it was just it the was, same tired tropes and repetition. Yeah, it wasn't fun anymore for a lot of people. At least based off of, like, what I've heard from interviews about the Scream film, this was generally the way people were feel feeling. And basically this man, Kevin Williamson, comes along and he wants to... He's a, he's a lover of horror and he wants to write his own slasher. Isn't Kevin Williamson gay? Am I imagining that? No, he's gay. Okay. Yeah, which okay. is also cool. Yes. But we're not at that part yet, babe. All right. Basically, Kevin Williamson had a love for the genre, and he wanted to write his own film. And so he was, like, sitting at home one night and saw a news story about a murder, and it inspired him to write Scream. And it was this long, arduous process for getting someone to direct it and produce it and all this stuff. But eventually, of course, the film was made. For those interested... The murder was the Gainesville Strangler, right? I don't remember. I'm pretty sure it was the Gainesville Strangler. I think so. Yeah. I think it's really interesting that it's, like, inspired by an actual murder, but it also makes it kind of creepy. I don't like when that happens, but yeah. Okay. That's valid. Mm-hmm. But basically, no one wanted to make a horror movie anymore. But, thank God, <laughs> this movie got made. Um, and Wes Cravenson, after saying no several times, finally agreed to direct it. Wait, is this name Wes Cravenson? 
What did I say? Did I say that? Yes. Oh my god. And basically, Wes Craven, after saying no many times, decided to agree to direct it. It was because they got Drew Barrymore, right? That's why he agreed. That was part of the appeal for the people who they wanted to get to work on it. But from the documentary I watched, Wes just kept saying no. (laughs) And then finally he agreed. I do think it had to do with them getting Drew Barrymore, which is another interesting piece of the history, is that... Drew Barrymore was brought on to play the role of Sidney Prescott and to play that main antagonist role. And that was part of the allure for anyone to help them make the movie. Main protagonist. What did I say? Antagonist. Oh, shit. Uh, You heard it here. Drew Barrymore is ghost-faced. Fuck. Faced. I can't believe you found me out. I can't believe you found this. You found her out. Uh... And then Drew Barrymore up and decided that it would be far more interesting after reading the script if she was murdered in the first scene. That was Drew Barrymore's call. I thought Drew Barrymore got an offer for another project and she said to kill her off in the first scene, though. And she's like, you should still make it seem like I'm the protagonist, but kill me off in the first scene. I think about her potentially being on other sets or having a lot of other work to do did lend to that. But at the end of the day, it was her idea. Okay. That she was like, keep me in it, but kill me off. And then, yeah. And then they they promoted the movie, the posters, the trailers for this original Scream had her on them. People went into this movie thinking that Drew Barrymore was the star of it. And that's another fun part of this film and its history is that it kind of fucking bamboozled the audience. Mm-hmm. Right off the bat. She's just hanging from that tree, gutted. No, because it definitely plays into the thing. It it gives you a nice intro, which is the whole movie is about taking what you expect from a slasher or a horror and turning it up on its head. You think the big star, Drew Barrymore, which was the biggest name going into this movie, I believe, uh, and they kill her right off the bat. You would think she's going to be the protagonist. And they go, no, we're not following the rules for this movie. Yeah, and... I mean, she's the one who suggested that, too, which I think is really fascinating. Because mm. it just kind of elevated this movie that was already really dope and did even more. But then they had to go find someone. So then they had to find a new star for the movie, basically, and that's when they found Neve Campbell. She was already popular from being on Party of Five, but I think from what I know, that was pretty much what people knew her from. So all that to say, it was a success. It went over really well. People really liked it. And it's known as like this resurgence for the genre. A new fresh take. Which has to do with that meta element as well. So now I think it would be fun for us to talk through the movie a little bit. And I know we did our synopsis. But just talk about some of like our favorite scenes. The kills. The scares. How scary is it for you? And, you know, that enjoyability for me as a horror fan. Which I think's already been pretty established, but you go ahead. So when we started the movie, you asked me how many times I had seen it. Which I've only ever watched this movie with you. Mm -hmm. So I said, I think this is my third or fourth time. To which your response, of course, was, that's it? (laughs) Um, But, you know, third or fourth, I've had plenty of experience with it. And while I am a scaredy cat... When I know what's going to happen, I'm generally not that afraid. But to emphasize how much of a fucking scaredy cat I am, 
still in the opening scene wasn't even a scary part but when drew barrymore was hiding behind the tv and <laughs> ghostface throws a chair through the fucking patio door sid was laying on me and they felt me just jump it yeah. was i still get scared very easily but it's like that jump scare. It just startled you. Yeah, yeah. It was a good jump scare, too. Well, I guess my question more is, is it scary to you? Oh, no. I didn't think so. No. I don't... Was it scary the first time you watched it? Yes. Okay. Well, that's also more of the question. Yeah, because I mean, when I first... I mean, first... watching it after all these years, and I don't stop fucking talking about it. Obviously, at this point, it's lost that scary element. Also, like, I'm a lot less scared of horror movies now yeah i know but part of the point is that like i grew up enjoying it so Mm -hmm. i watched this a long time ago and i think it's been one of my favorites since before we started dating yes which is like six years ago but just just be clear with the audience we started dating five and a half years ago maybe five not six been more than just five well no i'm saying us officially dating i don't care okay i don't care okay (laughs) who needs the logistics bitch i've seen that movie i've seen pieces of it growing up it's funny i have a funny story about it actually i was like eight years old at my neighbor's house she was a year younger than me we both loved scooby-doo live action scooby-doos were out around that time (gasps) we loved live action scooby-doo uh-huh and so we walk into the living room her father is now you know in the future i realized was watching the ending of this movie and we were both like shaggy Shaggy. we were like why is shaggy covered in blood (laughs) and he was like i need you to get out because they're also like throwing the f-bomb around too and then we're just like weird (laughs) because we loved him as shaggy for those unfamiliar shaggy is played by matthew lillard in the live action scooby-doo movies but you better fucking know that i don't know how any of you i'm not sure like i don't know I don't know how you'd escape that knowledge. Yeah. Because it's pertinent. We love Matthew Lillard in this house. We love Matthew Lillard in this house. I was also going to bring up when Casey Becker is getting drug away. I always forget this part, and I really like this part in the movie, which is she was on the phone with Ghostface, which is how the scene starts out, but she carries the phone with her most of the time, and when she's finally killed, she still has the phone with her. So when her parents come home and see the house is on fire and they go to call 911... And what they overhear when they lift up their phone, because it's a landline. Because it's the 90s. Yeah, because it's the 90s. And when you answer the phone and somebody else is on the phone, you just hear their conversation. Yeah, like when you used to have to fear that like your parent was going to pick up and listen in on your conversation Mm -hmm. from the phone, the landline downstairs. Mm -hmm. The second you stop because you keep think. The second you stop your conversation because you think you hear your sibling breathing quietly on the other line, listening in on your conversation. <laughs> That's a fucking horror movie in itself. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, her parents pick up the phone to call 911 because their house is on fire. But the call doesn't go through because there's already a call going on. And they listen closely and they just hear their daughter gasping for air saying, Mom, help. And I think that's beautiful. I think that's great you cinema. Think it's beautiful? I think it's gorgeous um i yeah i mean i love the whole movie Mm -hmm. i do think that opening kill scene is very good Mm -hmm. um it might be my favorite in the franchise your favorite opening scene or your favorite kill in general no not my favorite kill my favorite opening scene because they all have a an opening scene i do like the beginning of the fourth one though oh my god we're not gonna talk about that (laughs) 
Um, I do love it, though, and I w- wish I could have been there in that moment where you think Drew Barrymore is going to live and get that, like, shock factor. Because by the time I watched it, I was born the year this came out, just so everyone knows. We're both 25, so we're little little babies. Just or we're old, babies. depending on how old you are listening to this. I just thought that was... I hope you're at least 18, though. You need to be at least 18. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're vulgar. Yeah, and we talk about queer things, and every, as everybody knows, queer things are inherently sexual, so children yeah. can't listen to it. Children can't hear me say anything about that. Yeah. Anyway, I'm going to talk about the more meta-centered stuff separately, but yeah, the opening kill scene, a good time, a good romp, lots of fun. Um, I love when they zoom in on her hanging from that tree. The mom comes out, <sighs> she just fucking screams her face off. Very good. Does Ghostface hang her from the tree with her own intestines? I don't know. I could, I can never remember if that's the case or if he just, I'm pretty sure. I don't think they address that. Mm. And I don't think you can tell. And then basically we're introduced to Sydney, we're introduced to Billy, we're introduced to her dad, he's going away, blah, blah, blah. That scene's a lot of fun too. I'm going to say I like all the scenes though. Um, I like meeting Sydney for the first time. She's pretty. <laughs> I don't love the Billy, the way Billy talks to her though. Um, cause he's a he's bit creepy. of a skis. He's, yeah, he's very skeezy. He's a bit of a pushy skis. What's the actor's name again? Skull, ski, <laughs> Ulrich. Okay, so when you said that, Scooter I, skis. the first time you ever said it to me, I remember it, I thought you said Skeetle Rich. <laughs> like his name was Skeetle Rich. <laughs> nice to meet you, Mr. Rich. I love that. Please, call me Skeetle. My bad. Anyway, basically... She goes to school. Yeah, she goes to school. I would like to comment on the part where Sydney goes to get interviewed and you meet Dewey, who we love. We love Dewey. Mm-hmm. But then, um, Hembry, the principal, like lightly taps the bottom of her chin, and then the and then the sheriff kind of gives him a look. He's like, "The fuck you doing, touching a kid like that?" I'm like, "Are are you just like sus of him, or like we actually like?" We're going to acknowledge that that was a little fucking weird. Because I know at the time it's a little wishy-washy. He's just an old man concerned about a young lady. You know, like a gentleman. (laughs) In the end, he is just like... I do love him, actually, as a character. But I kind of like that the sheriff's a little bit like... Hmm. The fuck? Yeah, we're all going to be nice to Sydney, but like, don't be weird. Mm -hmm. And I think it also lends to like the fact that that principal is definitely supposed to be a red herring character. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. There's definitely little bits of what he does that make him seem fucking weird. <laughs> Which is interesting that they make him the main red herring. But I don't then... think he's the main one. I think there's just a couple big ones. That's true. But he's one of the big ones. Yes. And I think also it lends to the idea of like the slashers that they're trying to move away from. In the end, it could have been the dad, maybe. But the way that it all plays out is just like a little more convoluted than I think a lot of previous slashers had been in a well-done way. Mm-hmm. Not convoluted to be fucking confusing and not make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, like some of those sequels. I think movies like Halloween and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, those classic slashers, you know who that is. Yeah. Because or it's- to the best of, you know, you, it's a it's a killer. You don't know in Friday the 13th, but it's still, like, very straightforward. Like, there isn't really any way for you to figure that out. No. 
Where this is like a whodunit, and that's part of why I love it so much. Yeah. But to move on from that, because that's more of an overall thing, um, I love when Ghostface comes after Sydney, and then she goes to walk out of the front door after being after running away from Billy, because Billy climbs in the window and then has a cellular phone. Cellular phone. A cellular phone. Oh my fucking god, yeah, this scene, go on. And then she goes to go out the front door. She had called the... She typed in on her computer to oh call the Oh my fucking police. god, can we talk about this? Is that a thing? I think it was. That's so you wild. You can do it now. Is it? <sighs> it was like a phone call website. I don't know. I don't know if her dial-up would have worked that fast. <laughs> Here's the other thing. All she does is type in... No, it says, who do you want to call? Who do you want to call? She types in 911. That's all she types in, right? Yeah. Okay, so how the fuck... I know, like... Listen, I know she's connecting from a certain IP address... I know for a fact. Oh, how they knew where she was. Yeah. Cops today take them probably 15 minutes to figure out where that IP address was. That's a good point. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. That's the thing. Which, hmm. which, no, that's a little hand wavy though. Cause like, if that was true, like if they were being more accurate, that would make it a massive red herring towards Dewey. That he'd be there already. That being said, there's other cops there already as well though. Yeah, and I think they were already, I mean, you know, they were already being protective of the community, on high alert. Mm-hmm. Already went after teenagers, worried about the kids. Mm-hmm. And that shit happened with her the year before. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And he's a friend. So, I don't know. That That is funny, though. She just fucking click-clacks it into her computer, and then she's like, oh my god, Billy. And then, but my favorite part is when she opens the front door, the ghost face mask... <laughs> The ghost face mask is there. She screams. Then Dewey turns and he screams. And it's so fucking funny because Dewey is basically like this himbo. Oh my god, yeah. He's a little fucking himbo. And I love him. It's wild that like definitely in modern senses, he's a himbo. At that time, he was definitely supposed to come off as dweeby and like a little fucking virgin. I mean, I I still think he does. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's like Tatum undermining him all the time too. Yeah, I guess the duality of <laughs> of Dewey is <laughs> that he's a dweeby himbo. Yeah, I just think it's a different word for something similar. I don't know. Today, now, I'm going to call him a little himbo. Yeah. He's not, like, beefy, though, so he's not technically a himbo, but I don't care. We don't know that. He's, like, li- no, that's tr- not true. He's, he- like, a skinny little man. Anyway, do you have any other favorite parts from earlier in the film? Uh, I mean... We're at this point now, so we can talk about it. Uh, probably my favorite, like, cinem- not cinematic, cinematography shot. Are you talking about when they kill Henry? Yeah. When... I'm not quite there yet. Okay. Oh, wait. I do want to talk about them. Okay, go ahead. When Ghostface calls, I'm talking about this just in reference uh, to talking about it later. When Ghostface calls and Sydney is convinced it's Randy, and she just starts sticking around with him because, like, oh, it's Randy, whatever, it's funny. That would probably be one of the next parts. What we talked about, when Ghostface calls, that's when Billy, when she runs away. Oh, is that that scene? Yeah, that's Sorry. that same scene. I get a little confused because there's like a couple times he calls and like a couple different house shots that they get mixed up in my mind every time, even though I've seen this movie so many fucking times. Yeah. I like that she walks out and she goes, what am I doing? Yeah, and she's picking her <laughs> and fucking she's fucking nose. her fingers up her nose. She's pretending. I also love when Sydney punches Gail in the face. It's right after the thing with Billy happens, what I just said. She's trying to leave the police station to go over to Tatum and Dewey's house. And then Gail's there and she's like harassing her. 
And then she's like, oh, how's your book sales or whatever? And she's like, I'll send you a copy. And then she's like, Dexter. You I you realize that you're pretty much just being Tatum no, in the and next then I was scene, say, right? And then they go. <laughs> then they go to their house and then Tatum's like, Sid, super bitch. And that's my favorite moment of Tatum. Because even though Tatum says a lot of fucking funny ass things, which I'd like to review, she are like... Her, like, love for Sydney and that friendship comes through in that moment for me, and I, I really like it. That seems also funny to me, because their mom is, like, a dumbass. She's like, someone's on the phone. Now, granted, they think that Billy did it, and now he's being detained, so why would it be Ghostface? Mm-hmm. But it's still, like, stupid. She didn't, like, ask who it was. Mm-hmm. At least to, like, hand the receiver over to a child or whatever, who has already been through enough that night. And then it's Ghostface. And then the mom's like calling for Dewey. He runs out with his gun. He's all confused. <laughs> and then they walk away. He picks up the phone. And he goes, hello? And then he just kind of is like, oh. And then he sets it down. And um, uh, again, I love Dewey. Yes. <laughs> I also want to talk about the things that Tatum says. Like, fuck rag, goon fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> these fucking names that she says to... Randy and Stu when they're all talking about these murders at school. Like there's some casual fucking thing. And there's like no fucking tact about it. Oh, I do want to talk about that. Um, I picked up on something which is Tatum mentions details about the murder. That makes sense that she would know because Dewey probably talked about them. This is right after Casey was killed and she's talking to Sydney about them. Briefly after that, Stu talks about things that Tatum didn't even know about. Like what? I don't remember exactly what it was. And it could... Being gutted like a fish? Yeah. Which I... Well, yeah, because then Billy is like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, Stu's like... Also, like, if you don't, if you didn't watch it for some reason and you're not going to go watch it, Billy and Stu are the murderers. Yeah. So the fact that Stu is, like, mentioning these things that Tatum didn't even know when she would be probably the most... The person who would know the most in the school. Mm Mm-hmm. It really, it's a good small detail that you can pick up on early on. Well, he was saying how when he went to be interviewed by the cops, they were asking if he owned a hunting knife and stuff like that. Okay. So there is this idea that maybe they let some of that slip to him, but they didn't let slip to her because they're talking about how a woman couldn't do it. A guy, you have to be a man to slip, slit someone open like that. I also want to mention other Tatum lines. Such as stupidity <laughs> to Dewey. Mm. And then later Sydney says, is your brain linking to someone? Mm-hmm. And I just, I love them. Yeah. I love them. I ship Tatum and Sydney. Honestly, yeah. I'll, I'll touch At on their this sleepover later, specifically. Oh, oh right. Later, later, later. I did write that down. But then some other favorite scenes of mine are pretty much any Randy monologue. Oh my God. Yeah. I especially love the video store. Oh my god, yes. When Randy has his fucking rant about, like, if they just watch the movies, there's a simple formula. Uh, the video store scene is actually my favorite scene in the entire movie. Yeah. The other kills are great and whatnot, but to see Stu completely in his fucking batshit weirdo moments of just being, like, behind Randy, like, sticking out his tongue, like, eh. Yeah, sticking out his tongue, fucking fondling his ear. Yeah, fucking going behind him, just, like, you know, like, Twindle in his ear. What's the word? That's what I just said. Yeah, twindle in his ear as he's talking. T- twindle in, that's my word. 
Uh, that's your vocabulary oh, term for this Lincoln. episode, twindling. It means to uh, play with somebody's ear in a fondling-like manner. Okay. Uh, but anyway, twindling his ear while he's talking to Billy. So he's like behind him just doing it casually, not even doing it to his face. He's like, which like, can we talk about homoerotic, please? We will later. Don't worry. But <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. This also adds to my other thing that I want to talk about later. I just love a lot of the monologues in general, basically. They're all fun for me. I like the cheerleaders in the bathroom saying all that shit. Oh my god, yeah. And they're like, her bubble butt boyfriend, Billy. And I'm like, alliteration queen. And then they look like they're 30. And she's just fucking going off mm-hmm. about like her psycho break. And it's, if you've seen it, you know, it's a lot of fun. And it's a really, I'll talk about it more than maybe. It also lends to the whole meta thing too, that monologue, I think. Definitely. Yeah. She's like, suicide's out this year. She's gonna go for a more therapeutic <laughs> approach, which is murder. I do like that because I feel like in most of the screams, they do have some sort of line about something being out this year. They're doing this now. Uh, I would agree. I mean, I think that's an integral part of like the meta of the movies, which when we talk about like what makes it a good franchise, I want to touch on that. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, we're moving into the part of the movie that's the party scene because after that whole cheerleader in the bathroom monologue, Ghostface is there and chases Sydney. And because now Ghostface is coming into school and trying to attack her, they shut down school. And so Stu thinks it would be a great idea to throw a big party at his big weird house with a stained glass window. Oh my god, I love it so much. Can we talk about the scene immediately after they announced that school was closed and they show that stereo on somebody's like balcony rooftop and just blasting Alice Cooper's schools out for the entire neighborhood to hear which is such a good like just being in sync with what kids would fucking do because I know as a 25 year old like somebody fucking did that in my neighborhood I'd be so goddamn pissed I'd be so annoyed but I know in high school I'd be like oh my god I'm totally gonna do this (laughs) this is gonna be so fun school's out I'm gonna be celebrating it absolutely run right home and be like I'm gonna play this for the school yeah yeah um I love that for them in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Basically then there's the party, but there's the Hembry scene. Oh yes. Which is Principal Hembry's murder scene, which I also kind of love. Uh, part of them shutting down the school is that he finds that those students have the screen masks mm-hmm. and he expels them. Mm-hmm. This is also a monologue that I love. And he also... He cuts up the masks. Yeah. And, and then, then, he, then he's like, he's like pointing the scissors at them. Like he seems very unhinged, which is part of that whole red herring thing. That's like his mm-hmm. other big scene for that. And I love it though, because I one of my favorite lines is when he calls them, he's like, your whole generation is a bunch of desensitized little shits. And that's not quite the line, but it's something like that. And I love it. Mm-hmm. And he goes off on them. Mm-hmm. And he expels them. And he's like, that's not fair. He's like, no, what would be fair is me cutting you open. And he just, like, is a freak. Yeah. Um, but then after that, he's, like, trying on the ghost face mask and looking in his mirror he's and like, being a little oh, weirdo. Oh. And then fucking... <laughs> <laughs> then a man in a Freddy Krueger sweater in the hallway. And, and he's like, fedora. not you, Fred. Yeah, and the fedora map mopping the floor. This, like, little fucking callback to Nightmare on Elm Street, which, of course, is also directed by Wes Craven. Yeah. And he's just like, not you, Fred. And that's part of the fun of Scream movies. Yeah, there's just, like, little jokes in it. It's not, like, a straight-up comedy, like, fucking scary movie. Yeah, like, with Tatum 
and Sydney's conversation about Sydney's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, Tatum's like, this isn't some Wes Carpenter movie. Oh, yeah. And we love that. Combination of Wes Craven and John Carpenter. I think that horror fans will get that, but you, thank you. Okay, well, I'm <laughs> sorry that I'm a fucking jackass. Anyway, I will talk about when we say the Wes Carpenter thing. I guess I didn't write this part down. Uh, when we talk about Tatum saying Wes Carpenter, I don't like the fact that, that Tatum, up until this point, has been harboring this feeling that Sydney's mom might have actually been cheating because she heard these rumors. I understand that... You know, she didn't want to offend Sydney at the time when she was grieving her mom. But, like, a year has passed. And now that Sydney's dealing with the fact that she's being actively hunted down and murdered, that she is going to go, oh, by the way, I do think you put the wrong person in jail, probably. Just a heads up. I don't know that that's exactly what she's saying. Because I understand where you're coming from with that one. But I will say that putting yourself in that position, like, I think that maybe when Sydney was so adamant about her mom being raped and murdered. It's kind of like, yeah, her best friend probably should have been like, well, well uh, peop- it's, it's more than just a rumor. Like, it's pretty, like, it's almost like this common knowledge thing that your mom slept around. Because Sydney had no idea. And she, like, refused to believe it. Can I also say, what a fucking rich kid thing, though, to hear gossip about the other moms in your suburb. To just be like, yeah, I heard my mom talking to this mom about how your mom's a slut. That's also the 90s. That's true. What are you gonna do? That's true. (laughs) You can pick up the landline when they're talking to the other moms and just listen in. Yeah, I'm sure you overhear shit. I think Mm -hmm. you overhear shit now, and that's just rumors and communities. Mm -hmm. But, yeah. I think that it makes sense that right after her mom died, she didn't want to upset her by being like, your mom's a whore. But also waiting all this time... But now it's relevant again, and Sydney's, like, coming to her to talk about it, so I get why she's not bringing it up until now. Mm-hmm. Because she's had time to, like, mourn, and now it's, like, kind of more pertinent. Although, I do agree with you. This also puts into the idea of Sydney has to figure out who Ghostface is. When, in fact, Sydney... It's not her problem. Yeah, Sydney doesn't have to figure out who Ghostface is. Sydney has to survive Ghostface. Maybe she should have gone to the cops and be like, hey, maybe look back into the Maureen Prescott case. Because I did hear that she slept around, so it's possible that the actual killer from that, if you had any side bets. Here's the thing, though. I think everyone but her knew that rumors. The cops would have already known those rumors from when they investigated. Exactly. So my point stands true, which is Tatum should have kept her fucking mouth shut. I think... Maybe she would have lived then. I think the issue is, though, that Sydney put away the wrong guy. Yeah. And she's coming to Tatum to talk about how now she's not so sure. So Tatum giving her that information is important. I don't think keeping that from her at that time would have been a good call either. That's just my thoughts on that. And now that we've delved into that issue. I also love the Randy on the couch scene. Oh my god, yeah. Where Ghostface is coming up behind him and he's like, Jamie, behind you. Wait, hold on. I also love the line of like, she didn't show her tits till she went legits. Yeah. Um, we're jumping a little bit ahead now though. If we're jumping to the couch you know scene. Oh, I talked about Principal Henry's murder. Oh, finish talking about Principal Henry's murder. Oh, uh, well, yeah. But you like al- that part. But also, the couch scene doesn't happen until everybody's left the party, pretty much. There's so much more that happens before that. The garage scene's before the couch scene. Mm, okay. Um, but anyway, um, my favorite shot in the entire movie is 
after Principal Hembree is killed, and we get the shot of a close-up on Principal Hembree's eye, his iris, and his pupil. His we, face. Yeah, his face, his face, his upper section of his face. You see his, his eyes really clearly. Yeah, you see his eyes really clearly, and we get to see ghost faces mask reflecting in the eye and it's just honestly done really fucking well and it was the 90s so i'm sure it was done like with actual effects and not just like post-production uh yeah after that happens we go to the party pretty cool pretty cool gail shows up dewey shows up they go on a nice little romantic walk together that we're not there yet oh wait gail hides a camera yeah but she goes into the i love this it's so fucking 90s i don't know if Okay, I don't know how it was in the 90s, but the fact that Dewey walks in, in uniform and everything, to this high school party that kids are drinking at, and walks up to a kid and goes, you old enough to drink that? Who's drinking a beer? You say, uh, you underage, son? You underage, son? And the guy goes, uh, uh, and then Dewey goes, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just checking out the party. What the fuck? Excuse me? He's not a fucking narc. He's not a narc, but his job is literally being a narc, and also, hey, there's a curfew. Why the fuck are these kids at a party, Dewey? Well... Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Dewey's not that important. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He just wants to hang out with Gail Weathers and make sure these kids are okay. Hey, Dewey, maybe your sister would be would still be alive if you were a little bit more of a narc. No, she wouldn't be alive. Her boyfriend was definitely going to kill her so he could fuck his boyfriend. <laughs> Gail and Dewey come in. Gail places the camera. They choose the movie. Um, movie starts. Then Randy mentions the rules. Which... Prompts Stu to go. I'll be right, right back. back. Which he does say later as well. Then we get our iconic Tatum murder scene. Basically, Tatum goes out to the garage for some beers. She's freaked out. She's like, chill out, bitch, to herself. But then Ghostface shows up. There is uh, one other small note to note. Uh, during this scene, it is in fact... Uh, the garage does take place somewhere else. It is, in fact, in Nipple City, because holy shit. Oh and you're going to bring up her nipples. They're just, like, really prominent. It must have been cold in the garage. Which makes sense. Garages makes are sense. cold. Garages are cold. They're in school. It's probably cold. No, they live in California. <laughs> They're probably not that cold. Anyway, uh, she drops the beers. They smash. There is a cat. Cat runs by, scares the shit out of her. I don't mm-hmm. know whose cat that is, but we love to see it. And then basically she's chased around the garage by Ghostface. She tries to climb out the dog or cat. I guess it's a cat door because the cat was in there. And (laughs) the funkiest murder. I think the funkiest death scene in any Scream ever and in a lot of horror movies is that she's kind of halfway in there. Not really. It depends because when the angles change, it looks weird. But then the garage door goes up. The wildest. The wildest intro to a stepbrother porn I've ever seen. Stop. Honestly, though. Yeah, she's literally like, help me, stepbrother. I'm caught in the she cat door. She fucking do that. <laughs> she should be able to fit through. She, oh, she should be able to fit through. Anyway, she hangs there. The garage door is somehow able to go up. I guess it's a strong garage door. I don't mm-hmm. think it normally would. And she's like murdered by it. Yeah. Her head also, gets squished like when you step on a Barbie doll head. Yeah. And I love it. Um, so, right before this happens, when Ghostface first enters the garage, here's my main, uh, running theory for the movie, which is, Ghostface comes in, she's like, Randy, Randy, stop it. And then she starts flirting with him. Then she starts flirting with- She thinks it's Stu. 
No, she says Randy. I'm positive she says Randy. I don't remember what she says, but she's like, stop being a fucking weirdo. She's like, do I get to play the helpless victim? Yeah. Yeah, I've been sure. It's some kinky weird play. Yeah, and she thinks it's Randy. And also, when Ghostface calls Sydney, she thinks it's Randy. And then she starts having fun with him. This friend group is a fucking polycule, and they're all fucking each other. Without a doubt. I need you to calm down. This We're not in the queer segment. I, you need to calm down with your theories right now. Okay. Anyway, let me get through a fucking scene. Randy's the jokester. They always think it's Randy trying to prank their asses. Doesn't matter. We move on. The party continues inside. She's murdered in the fucking garage door. The garage. Randy. Randy is yelling about the rules of horror. He says, number fucking one, you never have sex. You never have sex. And you know what's happening at that very moment? Sydney and Billy are upstairs. Bumping uglies. They're fucking. Okay. And. <laughs> I thought this was a children's podcast, but okay. I thought this family uglies. centered. It's not. And you can't drink and do drugs. They all cheers to that. And then they say, he says, then he says, whatever you do, don't ever say, I'll be right back. And then you know who says it? Stu. And he walks away. And he comes back, but it's because he knows he's safe. Then basically a call comes through to the house. A bunch of the people who are not main cast all leave to go f- look at Principal Hembry's dead body. Which is strung fucked across- up. Yeah, strung across the goalposts. The football football field goalposts, yeah. Strung up. Then basically, after they bump uglies, the killer shows up. Billy is stabbed. Billy gets fucked up. Billy's bleeding. Billy falls over. Very dramatic. Sydney runs away. It's a whole fucking ordeal. It's a chase scene. It's a whole thing. Gail and Dewey were away from the premises at the time, too, because they walked down to check out some fucking abandoned car, which turned out to be Sydney's dad's car. Basically, a shit show ensues with lots of chasing, lots of stabbing. Sydney's trying to escape. Cameraman gets killed. Gail shows up. She hits Randy in the face with the phone that she has when she's trying to call 911, which is very fucking funny. Mm -hmm. Then she drives away. She's like, fuck this. Kenny falls off the top of her car, who's the cameraman. Mm -hmm. Dewey gets stabbed. He's laying across the porch, and it's just a wild ride. Gail gets her her ass knocked out at some point. I don't know. Then it's just Randy and Stu begging Sid to believe that either one of them is innocent. Because to her best knowledge, they're the only two that are still alive. And and there. And so one of them must be the killer. So then she says, fuck both of you, and slams the door shut because she's fucking smart and a baddie. Poor Randy, though. Yeah. Then, somehow, miraculously, miraculously, Billy's coming down those stairs. He's all bloody. They let Randy inside. Stu's gone. And she's like, fuck. And then Billy gets the gun from Sydney, right? Mm-hmm. So that he can protect her. Then all of a sudden, he turns. He shoots Randy. And then he says... We all go a little mad sometimes, which is a quote from Psycho, which he says. And then he licks the cornstarch off his fingers, and it's one of my favorite fucking moments, because I will be honest with you, it's pretty hot, even though it shouldn't be. Yeah, I mean, he's hot, so it makes sense that him licking stuff would be hot. Yeah, 
And then he says it's the same stuff they use for the pig's blood in Carrie. And then it's the reveal. It's the big reveal. He's the killer. Stu shows up. He's an accomplice. Sydney's fucked. And then they reveal that they have her father. He's tied up in a closet. And they're fucking crazy. We love it. We love the reveal, though. We do. I will say, uh, shortly after they reveal the father, uh, it is my favorite line from the movie, which is Stu taking the gun and going, Booka! <laughs> Die. <laughs> That's so stupid. I love it. She's like, what's your motive? What the fuck's wrong with you? Why are you a psycho? He's like, who needs motive anymore, baby? But it is revealed that he does have a motive. His mother ran off because of Sydney's mother fucking his dad. And you know what? She flashed her shit all over town like she was some sort of Sharon Stone. But you know what, Sydney? Your mother was no Sharon Stone. And I love that line too. And then Stu and Billy just act so fucking gay and chaotic and crazy. They're I'm sorry, we're children. not at the queer part yet, so you need to tone it that back. It was just a quick insert. Then basically Stu and Billy are just acting fucking crazy. They're stabbing each other. They're saying all kinds of shit. And in the midst of them being wild towards each other, Stu goes to get the gun. It's gone. You know who has it? Gail Weathers. Here to save the fucking day. But she doesn't know that guns have a safety. <laughs> so her ass gets knocked back out onto the porch. But, you know who does get away successfully? Sydney. And then some of my favorite things happen. And some of the funniest moments, some of my favorite moments of Stu's comic relief. Oh my god, yes. Are Sydney calls them because she's a fucking bad bitch. And when Billy's on the phone with her, he gets pissed off. He throws the phone at the back of Stu's head. <laughs> And he's like, ow, that hurt. As Stu's like bleeding out, crying. And then Billy just starts ripping up fucking pillows out in the living room. And just like cursing about Sydney. And then Stu answers the phone. No, she calls again. And Stu's like, should I let it go to voicemail? (laughs) And then he answers. He's like, hello. And then Sydney's like, oh, Stu. What's, you know, what's your motive? What are you going to tell the police? And then he's like, did you really call the police? He's like, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. (laughs) And it's just so fucking funny. He's so fucking funny. Also, when they're explaining things, when he's like, it's a scream, baby. That's them saying the title of the movie. And that shit gets me. I'm going to be honest. I do love that shit. I know it took them a while to come up with the title of the movie. Did they know it by the time they were recording it? I I would assume. Because I know originally it was just entitled Scary Movie. I don't really remember. Okay honest with you but the whole ending is just pretty fucking awesome uh in the end she knocks a tv onto Stu's head which electrocutes and kills him and also assumedly crushes his skull gail's up and around again helping out randy is still alive and helping out and in the end they get billy they shoot him they shoot him again in the head and he is fucking down to the count and you get one more glimpse at who gets to live and that's our guy, Deputy Dewey. And then Gail limps her ass out there with some random-ass new camera guy, because hers is dead, <laughs> <laughs> and starts recording a new report. And that's the end of the movie. What was your favorite kill? And what was your favorite scare? Okay, so my favorite... Well, obviously, the standard favorite kill for this has to be the garage scene. 
So I'm going to skip over that one. The That's gra- your favorite? It's not my favorite. It's not your favorite? No. Okay, so I have two different ones. I like the garage scene because it's so fucking funny. It's just such a, it's such a Final Destination kill, to be honest. Uh, but in terms of just, like, I like the way it's done just, like, as a horror movie. I really like Kenny's kill. It's just a quick knife slash across the throat, which is cool. And then he topples like, down. Right in her face, too. Yeah. And he, like, topples down and Gail has to escape. But I would also include the... It's in front of Sydney when it happens. Oh, it's in front of Sydney? Yeah, Gail comes later. And then he's on top of the van for some reason. And then that's not the end of the kill. The end of the kill is the fact that he's on top of the van. And then when Gail goes to drive it away, there's like this gooey substance covering the windshield. And you realize it's his fucking blood as he rolls forward on the van. Because I guess Stu has fucking super strength and tossed him up there. Yeah, I, I do love how that makes no sense. Yeah. But a good time. Yes. A good time. I would say I'm also stuck between two because I feel like opening scene is iconic. Mm-hmm. Steve is the first kill of the entire franchise. Yes. But I like Casey's. It's a bit drawn out, though. I feel like she could have run away. I'm a little disappointed in her attempt. So I'd say I really, really love Stu's kill. I feel like it's one of the more unique ones. Oh, like the TV? Yeah, in the same vein as, like, Tatum's being fucking wild. Yeah. Like, Stu's is just, like, he's fucking chasing her around and she just drops a TV on his head. Yeah. And he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> I don't love death by electrocution, but I love Stu. And I think that that is it's a iconic. Very, it's a very befitting kill for him, I feel like. Yeah, I think it's pretty iconic. So I'd say that's probably my favorite kill. Is your favorite scare when <laughs> the one you jumped at? I don't really feel like there's too many scares in the movie is the thing. I don't really have a favorite scare. So I guess the one I jumped at, yeah, the chair getting thrown. I would say that's a scare. My favorite scare that I assume is an attempt at a jump scare is, well, like I said before, when Sydney screams and then Dewey turns around and screams. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I just think it's amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like it really highlights this character, which I love. The themes of the movie. I'd say, you know, we've got grief loss but also resilience mm-hmm. but also revenge it's like two sides of a coin where like sydney has to deal with what happened to her mother but she's fucking resilient about it and she is not going to let ghostface get her mm-hmm. she doesn't give a fuck what he thinks whereas like billy is motivated by his mother leaving to be a little bitch Yeah, a little fucking mama's boy. (laughs) A little fucking bitch. And enact all of this fucking complicated-ass, unnecessary revenge. And then dies anyway. I also think it being gay as fuck is also a theme. Whether intentional or not. Yeah. But there's a bit to be said about that. And I will say the other theme of it, if you call it a theme, is the meta. Yeah. The meta that makes Scream what it is. And what basically makes it this love note to horror, in my opinion, which is one of my favorite parts of Scream, is that this script was very clearly written by someone who has a love for the genre and for slashers and wants to, like, pay homage to that, but I think understands why people are, like, disillusioned by it and why it is so dried up and dead. He wants to revitalize that while still giving love to what came before it, which I think is what makes it so successful. 
You have to know where you come from. Yeah. To make something new. And to re- revamp things. And so, all throughout, like, the cheerleader monologue about, like, what's out, what's in, you know, this new age of how you cope, <laughs> I guess. And just all the shit that they say. Mm-hmm. And just the little references. They name so many horror movies. They reference so many horror movies. Especially with Randy being this geek who works at a tape store and, like, loves film. Which they definitely lean into even more in the second one. Mm-hmm. But, like, there are so many. And just, like, the jokes. Tatum's like, is this I spit on your garage? Stuff like that. And just referencing, like, he quotes Psycho in his moment of being revealed. And I love that. Yeah. And then just, like, the horror movie formula that Randy believes so much that they should abide by in this basically real-life horror scenario. Which isn't even real life because it's a horror movie for us. Which is the meta, of course. Mm-hmm. Especially when they're like, why is Jamie Lee in all of these movies? <laughs> And, oh, they're so predictable when they're watching Halloween at the end of the night. Mm-hmm. His rules. And, obviously, in turn, Scream changes those rules. Because Sydney is your final girl. And she just fucked the killer. But her Literally ass still doesn't die. Literally and figuratively. Yes. <laughs> and, like, Dewey and Gail just kissed out in the woods. Dewey might be a virgin, but I don't think Gail is. Also, it... And they're all drinking. They're at a party. I do love that one of the things that I didn't really pick up on is the fact that, yeah, Sydney's the final girl because that's the trope. There's always the final girl, the one who lives. Four people live from the main cast. Yeah, that's the other thing. I feel like it gives you this hope that a lot of the other ones don't that I think makes you more invested. Because Mm -hmm. so many of these characters who had a lot of redeeming and, like, interesting qualities get to live. Like, they are dynamic characters in a lot of ways. And obviously that gets added on to throughout the franchise. So I'm coming from a place of, like, knowing these characters much better than how you would from only watching the first one. But Mm -hmm. I think that's the charm of it. And then, in turn, to segue, what makes it a good franchise? The fact that the killer isn't invincible. It is a different person every time. So it's this whodunit. It's this new mystery every single time, which I think keeps it fresh and interesting. You know, someone new. You can have the killer act differently and have different motives because it's a different person for different reasons. So having villains to be people in a mask, regular old people in a mask, as opposed to earlier slashers, the big franchise, big name ones, it's very franchisable because Sydney lives because she's a badass. But you have several characters who live. And then you can build on that from there. Mm-hmm making it new and having characters who you root for and not just one of them and having her be more interesting than like this innocent virgin just running around screaming yeah that's why sydney is one of my favorite final girls she is a fucking badass and so is gail gail's a big old bitch and we love it yeah (laughs) gail has little to no redeeming qualities still one of the best fucking characters ever written she has redeeming qualities. Yeah, she does. I love her. In the first one... I understand one, what you're saying, though. In the first one, she has a lot less redeeming qualities, in my opinion. Yeah, it's, like, hard to like her unless that's the type of person you like. Mm-hmm. But it's clear that she also... Just, like, from her relationship with Dewey, like, there's something she's trying to get out of life. Yeah. The impact on me, personally, is the fact that I fucking love it, and it's my favorite thing. And I have, like, six Ghostface shirts impact socially i would say just the fact that it's still going the fifth one came out this year the requel is that what they're called yeah Yeah. that's what they're calling it the requel yeah and the meta of it is just 
that's something that new movies lean into themselves now. Yeah. Because it, like, set that precedent. And it works so well in so many ways, and I think it's something that you can do a lot with. There are potentially a lot of layers to that. Mm -hmm. And you can make it funny while it's still scary and interesting and serious in other ways. Now for the most important topic of conversation. Save the best for last, baby. It's gay. How's it gay? Why is it gay? What's gay about it? There's a lot that's gay about this There's movie. so much that's gay about this movie. It's funny because other people had to point out how gay it was to me. I think just in my heart, I loved it so much without even realizing it was gay. Because it just calls to you. It just calls to your little queer heart. Mm -hmm. Whether you mean it to or not. I mean, I think the biggest one is, even if it wasn't intentional, Stu's entire character of just being like, well, I'm just doing this because my best friends wanted to. Yeah, he's a little unhinged, but you don't do that. Like, unless, like, you really want to impress this best friend. Stu wants to fuck Billy straight up. Like, he's in love with him. So a big part of it is that the writer of the movie, Kevin Williamson, uh, was at least out to friends and family by 1992. Mm -hmm. uh, so he's been openly gay for a very long time. And he has also been quoted saying that the, the Scream movies are coded in gay survival. So not just the element of Stu and Billy being very clearly fucking gay for each other. It's also like this survival element, which I think is the relatable part of horror for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. The feeling that most things are against you, like the world's weighing down on you, but you have to keep going because you know you can. Yeah, especially with like a final well type of movie. Yeah. Uh, especially for queer people because horror is popular for a lot of people in the queer community. And that's, like, one of those elements. So it makes sense that a queer person would write a movie like this that's so successful. And nuanced, because the understanding is there of yeah. what that's like. So there's survival aspects. And a bitchy character like Gail, the type Could of Could never shit... be written by a straight man. <laughs> the type of shit that Tatum says. Like, those are the types of characters that at least gay white men eat the fuck up. Yeah. And I love them too. Yeah. <laughs> Being who I am. So I definitely think they're the types of characters that queer people enjoy. That like catty bitchiness while still being endearing in some way. And the fact that they're bitchy to each other. Those moments. Mm -hmm. I love. The, the fighting your way through the world and against things that are pitted against you. All that can always speak to the queer experience. But Billy and Stu specifically... Just a couple notes on that. It's just, just like you said, Stu being willing for no other reason than peer pressure to go along with Billy on this. Mm -hmm. Gay. He's in love with him. Also, like, oh, how did this come up? How did he mention to him that he wanted to kill somebody? That's fucking pillow talk. <laughs> That's Stu just bottom for Billy and they're landing, they're laying there like with their fingers interlocked, like drawing their finger down the other's palm. And they're like, Man, I want to fucking slit Marine Prescott's throat. <laughs> Did he help him with the original work? Yeah. I think so, yeah. Hot take. I don't think Billy loves him back. Oh, no. Oh, so then they're not having pillow talk. Oh. No, I think it's very much like Billy's just so blinded by this rage and this, this yearning for revenge that it's literally just Stu in love with him and blindly following him. Well, it goes right over Billy's head. Oh, um, so I don't 
know how much I believe this, but I much more see it as Billy seeing this and willingly using it. Taking advantage? Yes. That is also potentially a good point. Yes. I just feel like Billy is portrayed as so, like, blinded by this need. Yeah. Um, and Stu's just like, I love you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Randy calls Stu Billy's lapdog earlier in the movie. Randy's Randy's fully aware. Yeah. <laughs> Randy's caught on, as Randy does. And then it's just, like, little shit, like what we talked about with before, with, like, Stu fondling Randy's ear... And then when Billy shows up at the party, the way that Stu and Billy look at each other, Mm -hmm. go watch that scene. It's fucking gay. Yeah. That's all I can say to you. Mm -hmm. And then the way that um, Stu hands the knife to Billy so that he can stab him Mm -hmm. on purpose. And then also just the, (laughs) just like the metaphorical, they're penetrating each other with a knife. Mm -hmm. Also, when... The when we first see the scene of the group all together when they're sitting on the fountain out at the school, and the way they interact's a little gay, but it's also because they have a secret. But that's gay. <laughs> okay, what I was going to say is the way that Stu is nearly purposely leaking things to hint at both of them being the killer, almost like he wants people to know about his relationship with Billy, about yeah. how close they are. Yeah, and Billy on the other hand is like, shut the fuck up. Stop it. Like, he's shooting him looks like, be quiet. Very closeted. Yeah, and Sue's just like, I just want the world to know we're fucking. <laughs> very, yeah. Though those are really good parallels. I agree. It's very much that, like, they have a secret together. That's what bonds them. And Stu fucking loves it. But he, mm-hmm. like, almost wants to, like, tell people about it. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Sydney is the final girl. But also, I love the thing of the person who Stu... Never mind. This actually doesn't follow my narrative because I also think Stu's just fucking Sydney to fuck with her. I don't think he gives a shit about the sex either. I think he's purely Billy. Cute. Did I say Stu? You said Stu. Okay. I think Billy is just fucking Sydney to fuck with her. Yeah, I think Billy fucked Sydney to have power. Yeah. Which is common. I also think there's a lot of scenes of like, you know, empowerment. Mm-hmm. Of, like not dying just because you gave up your virginity mm-hmm. and stuff and moving into this new age of like it doesn't have to be a bunch of fucking misogyny yeah. i definitely also think that's the turn that this franchise takes which is was probably also very refreshing and i know that i love it and and everything else like that the whole end scene where they're spilling the shit to sydney and the way that they're like touching each other and like just like interacting mm-hmm. very queer very gay. And and that's that on that, honestly. Yeah. Now, a few little games just to end things off in like a fun little way. Uh, do, are the killers fuckable? <laughs> let so. Me, let me ask you a very easy question. <laughs> hold on. Go on. In this universe, we are talking about the actors at the time that they record the oh, movie. Oh, yes. Which Disclaimer. Were, which were legal adults. adults we are not talking about the high schoolers that they are playing yeah okay yeah we are not fucking high schoolers yeah not fucking high school. don't want to fuck high schoolers no exactly so the actors so theoretically the actors in ad- our own real world adult billy loomis no just no. would oh, you just fuck like... skeet ulrich oh fuck at yeah at this time oh yeah yeah no I'd, I'd fuck both of them can you imagine skeet... i would fuck matthew lillard <laughs> can you imagine my... fuck him now 
Yeah. Sorry. God. Could you imagine my boy Skeetle? Like, <laughs> if he were, you know, the age he was then, now, like, he'd be such a fucking soft boy icon. The way he parts his hair. Oh, yeah, it's the resurgence of the 90s right now. That, like, vibe. But yeah. just, like, elevated, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Oh, yeah, no. Fuckable. No, I... He's fuckable now. They're both. Whatever. <laughs> um, Matthew Willard? Yeah. No, I'd... I... I'd be, like, talking to me like Shaggy. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be like, oh. <laughs> Matthew, give me my Scooby snack. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> So yes, uh, the killers yeah, are fuckable. Both fuckable. I'd say most of this cast, um, as the real life adults that they are, are fuckable. Least fuckable in the main cast. <gasps> Least fuckable. Randy. Randy. Yeah, just because of the goatee. I think that I would fuck Principal Hembry before I'd fuck, I'd fuck, him fuck Randy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't look. I mean, he's not supposed to. No, he's supposed to look like a little fucking Dweebosaurus yeah. Rex. and they did a good job. I'm not into it. Yeah. <laughs> and I fucked Dweeb. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. He's 25 in that. His character is 25. Does he have a mustache in this one? I think he does have a funky little mustache. That does lose some points, in my opinion. Okay. I'd go for a mustache, right? Okay. First and foremost. Mostly, I think Neve Campbell's gorgeous. And yeah. I also love Courtney Cox. Yes. Especially um, as Gail. Rose McGowan. McGowan. Tatum? Fuckable. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Rose McGowan? Fuckable. I wish I was Rose McGowan. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, valid. Oh. W- would you recast? <sighs> no. Oh. I mean, you can answer differently. I will, I will not fucking recast. You refuse to do a recast? I refuse to recast. It's perfect. Okay, but modern recast. No. It won't. You don't want even want to, to talk back. about it? No, I want the same people. Okay, isn't Ske- is Skeetle Rich alive? Yeah, he's on Riverdale. Oh. He's Jughead's dad on Riverdale. Oh, yeah. You knew this. Yeah, sorry. I was thinking he was the dad who died on Riverdale. Maybe I'd have Cole Sprouse <laughs> play. Just as like that nod to Riverdale, even though <laughs> Riverdale's Riverdale. Riverdale doesn't deserve shit. That being said, God, who would I recast? I won't. <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. As Stu, I would cast Michael Sarah. No, I'm done. I'm kidding. I can't do this. I don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> Who's your favorite character in the whole movie? God. Stu. 100% yeah. Stu. If you're going to force me to pick a favorite character, which I wish you wouldn't, even though I came up with this category. <laughs> Fuck. I'm just gonna have to say... I, li- I don't know. I can't. I want to say Sydney, but maybe that's just because we share a name. Yeah. And I vibe with her as a person, and she's so pretty. But I also love Gail so much. But I also love Dewey. But I also love Bill and Stewart. I do also love Randy. No, I love I love all of the characters. Yeah. But those are, like, my top faves. Like, I really love all of their characters. You know what? Changing my mind. Favorite character, the cheerleader who says bubble butt boyfriend. <laughs> she is something else. Is she even a cheerleader? Yeah, she's in a cheerleading uniform. She is? I thought she was in, like, a blue top. It's her cheerleading uniform. Oh, okay. Whoops. You're funny. I'm just a dumb bitch. 
I already shouted out all of my favorite lines while we were talking about the movie. Yeah, same. And then, as a fun little thing, we played a product placement game. Which I lost. Well, you don't know. We don't know yet. We're going to say no. Okay, which, tell me which product placements you saw throughout. None. You didn't see any? No. Only the, like, Chex Mix one you pointed out to me. We could have at least written down Chex Mix. You didn't see any other ones? You didn't look? I looked. I didn't see any. Oh, okay. I saw Dunkin' Donuts, Chex, and then at the party, they had Doritos and Tostitos. Hmm. In the van, Kenny had Tostitos. He was eating them. Hmm. Um, so I win. Okay. Um, I also really like the music in this movie. It's a 90s vibe. And that, I think, is all I have to say about Scream. My favorite movie. My favorite horror movie. Yeah, that's all I have to say on screen. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think this is our first time recording, of course, but we have been talking for almost two hours. Yes. And that feels right. Yeah. If we're going to narrow it down to like 45 minutes, because it was a lot of not knowing what the fuck we were doing. Mm-hmm. But I feel pretty good about it. That's I cool. love talking about this movie. Thank you for entertaining that. Because I know you've already heard it all before. I thought you were talking to the audience. I did not realize you were talking to me. I'm looking right at you. (laughs) Okay, we've been looking at each other while we've been talking this entire time. I'm looking at you. I'm talking to you. I'm looking right. Yes, but on that note, also thank you to everyone listening, of course, for taking the time to listen to the first episode of our shitty podcast. Of our podcast, Queerful Farts. No. (laughs) Queerful Fears. Yes. Thank you so much to everyone for listening to our first episode. I hope that it comes out okay. This is our first attempt at yeah. a podcast ever, of recording ourselves even, uh-huh. vocally. I had fun, because I love Scream. <laughs> We're going to have fun in the future, too. We already have the next couple topics picked out, so that's exciting. And what are we going to be watching next week? Next week, we will be talking about The Babadook. Duck, duck. The name of the movie is The Babadook, for those who don't know. That's not The Babadook. Duke. Duke. (laughs) The Babadook, an Australian queer icon. Yes. Yes. Until then. This has been Queerful Fears with your host, Sydney. And Elsie. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye, queers. (laughs) Bye.